Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We uh, began a series last week called Don't Forget the Fish. And it's based out of the truth of 2 Corinthians chapters 2 through 5. But really the, the, the idea behind this, this, uh, uh, this message series is that God has plans to use our lives to impact those around us for Christ. And, you know, really the image that we've been using is that of a fishing trip. Now, if you were to go fishing right now, you would gather up a lot of gear, a lot of things that you would take with you on a fishing trip. You know, things like your, your, your rods and your reels, you, you would take those with you, and, and you would take a, a tackle sack, and you would have a lot of different lures that you would bring with you. I mean, when you go fishing, it requires a lot of gear. But, but the question we've been asking is, how ludicrous would it be, how absurd would it be to go to all the trouble of gathering up all of your stuff and to go all the trouble to go to the lake to go on a fishing trip. But then when you get there, instead of actually fishing, spend all your time just organizing the stuff. Spend all your time just organizing the gear. That would be absurd. You gather the gear, you gather the stuff to go to the lake and to actually fish. And we began looking at the idea that the Christian life is similar. God has gone to incredible lengths to equip us become fishers of men. God has gone to incredible lengths to equip us to serve Him in a special way in this life. And given all that God has equipped us with, how absurd it would be for us to forget to fish, for us to forget to put the things that God has equipped us with into, into practice. And we've been gaining some perspective on this from the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, we began last week in chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, the first part of 16. And we talked about how God is leading us on a triumphal procession in Christ, spreading everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Uh, this week we're going to continue that by advancing on into chapter 3. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here and to worship you. And thank you that right now on the other side of the globe in Latvia, people are praising and worshiping you as well. Father, you're not just the God of this corner of the world. You're not just the God of America. Even on the July 4th weekend, we thank you for the privilege it is of being an American. We also praise you that you're not just an American God, but you are the God who sits over all the earth, including Latvia and the rest of Europe and Africa and Asia in Australia and everywhere. Father, you are the only true God. And we thank you that we can come together and we can praise and worship you right now. Father, I pray that you would guide us this morning as we look at your word. Father, that you, we would hear from you and not from me. Father, I pray that you would protect me this morning from saying anything that you wouldn't want said. But Father, if I do say something that you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would quickly be forgotten. Father, anything that is said today that is your words though, I pray that we would remember it we would receive it, we would believe it, we would walk forward in it by faith. We might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by uh, telling you a story. A story that will help us gain an understanding of ministry. The story about a man named Jed. The poor mountaineer could barely keep his family fed. 
One day, he was shooting at some food. Up from the ground came the bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. The first thing you know, Jed was a millionaire. His kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there. They said, California is the place you want to be. So Jed loaded up the truck, and he moved his family to Beverly. Hills, that is. Swimming pools and movie stars. Uh, Thus is the story, the not-so-true story of the Beverly Hillbillies, right? The, the, the television show from the 50s, right? 50s, 60s, am I close? Uh, somewhere back in there, the Beverly Hillbillies uh, television show was on TV. And you know what's, what's interesting about the Beverly Hillbillies? Uh, if, if you're unaware of them, don't worry, we're not going to camp on them long. But uh, if, you know, if you know this sitcom from the 50s and the 60s, if you've ever watched it on TV land or seen the remake in the movie, Uh, then you know that the Beverly Hillbillies, when they packed up their family from the Ozarks and they moved to California, that they brought with them some mistaken definitions of life. There There were things that they thought they understood that they just didn't. And because they didn't understand them, they did some very silly things. Uh, An example of that was they walked into the billiard room in their house, they see the pool table that's there, and they think, dining room table. The house came with a dining room table. They see the pool sticks on the wall, and they think, those are pot passers. We can pass the dishes from one person to the next so that we can pass the food around the table. They, they had some mistaken definitions of what was going on in that room, and so they did some kind of silly things. They thought the pool out back was a cement pond. So they had animals swimming around in their swimming pool. Uh, they had some mistaken definitions that led them to do some silly things. I I tell you that today because I think it's helpful for us to remember that when it comes to the topic of ministry. When it comes to the topic of ministry, sometimes we can have some mistaken definitions about what ministry really is. And because of our mistaken understanding of what ministry is, we can do some silly things. My hope today as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 16b on through chapter 3, verse 5, the second part of our series, is that we'll get a greater understanding of an accurate definition of what ministry is so that we could walk forward in that definition and see God use us to impact those around us for Christ. If God has gone to all of this effort to equip us for ministry, doesn't it make sense for us to not forget the fish? That's what we're going to look at today. And if you've got a Bible, take it out and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in the second half of verse 16. We're going to go all the way down through chapter 3, verse 5. Let me read those verses for us. Paul is writing and he says, Who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. 
not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. You see, in those few verses, I think that we'll see today some right definitions of what ministry is that will encourage us to not forget to fish. We're going to see two things this morning from these verses. Uh, The first thing I want us to see is this. Ministry is not about us. Ministry is not about us. Uh, We see this from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 16b and verse 17, and then on into chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But it's very clear that ministry is not about us. If we've ever had a definition of ministry that made it about us, then we've got it wrong. Ministry is not about us. And it's not about us because this passage would tell us we're not competent for it. Now look at what it says in chapter 16, the second half. It says, who is equal to such a task? What task is he referring to? Well, if you were here last week, we looked at the first part of that verse. We looked at verses 12 through the first half of 16 that talked about how the Christian life was like a triumphal procession, a Roman procession that would go around and spread the fragrance of the knowledge of a victory to all the people of Rome. And Paul made the comparison that the Christian life is like a triumphal procession where where Christ is leading us around the world, spreading among all people the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Ministry is about God using us to communicate His truth, His love, His compassion, His character to others. And after making that declaration, Paul says, and who is adequate for this? Who is equal to such a task? The the obvious answer that he was looking for is no one. Paul didn't make this declaration of what Christ's intention were so that he could say, and I am the only one good enough to do this. Paul says God wants to spread a knowledge of him everywhere and who possibly could be equal to that task? The answer, no one can. Paul had a great feeling of inadequacy when it came to ministering the gospel to others. You know what the reality is? That all of us are in that same boat. Each and every one of us here. If you have ever had a ministry opportunity present itself to you, and you thought, I can't do that, then guess what? You have accurately assessed the situation. You're not unique. You're not the one who has been excluded. You've accurately assessed the situation. Ministry is something that is greater than every single one of us in this room. There are, if it was up to our own skills and devices, all of us are inadequate. All of us fall short of meeting the criteria or qualifications to be used by God for whatever area of ministry that is. Whether that's encouraging a friend who is sick by bringing them a meal whether that is sharing the love of Christ with someone who doesn't know, him, know them, whether that's counseling someone who is going through a difficulty in their life, whether that is, is uh, getting up this morning and, and preaching a message to the congregation at Wildwood. I don't, there's no one in here, not, not me, not Bruce, not John, not, not Jeremy, not any of the staff. None of us are adequate for this task as a staff. None of us are adequate for whatever task God has called you to in ministry on your own. If you've ever thought, I can't do this, then you have accurately assessed 
the situation. But the trouble is that many times we we have this mistaken notion that ministry must be something about us and we must qualify for the task through some sort of a job interview. We think that that God is going to look at our, our spiritual resume and determine our adequacy for the task based solely on what we bring to the table. Paul says no one is equal to such a task. You know, the idea, if we, if we, if we think that way, is we think we need to, to get our spiritual resume in check so that God might be able to use us. Now, I've got some, some friends that have applied for jobs in uh, government institutions, and, and uh, you know, there, I'm sure there are other businesses that, that use this too, but you know, there, there are computers that analyze resumes. If you apply for a government job... Uh, there are certain words and phrases you need to put in your resume so that when the computer scans it, it picks up on key words so that your resume looks qualified for whatever job is being offered. What Paul is saying in chapter 2, the second half of verse 16 is, left in and of ourselves only with that which we were born with, only with that which, which we were able to create on our own, in and of ourselves... There is nothing we can add to our resume that would qualify us for service. No amount of church attendance, no amount of good deeds, no amount of education. None of that would make you qualified to serve Christ in any way, from bringing a meal to counseling to preaching a message to sharing Christ with someone who doesn't know Him. There is nothing that we can add to our resume that would qualify us for that task. in and of ourselves. And you know what, if that was the conclusion of the story, then we would close this up and say, you know what, we should forget the fish. We don't qualify. We don't have a license to fish in these waters. But the reality is there's more to the story than that. Though no one is equal to the task in and of ourselves, Paul answers the question in verses 4 and 5, of chapter 3. No one is competent in and of themselves, but in Christ, full competency for ministry exists. Look at what it says. He says, such confidence as this is ours, not in ourselves, but through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. In other words, No one by ourselves is competent for the task of ministry because it's not about us. But God in Christ is able to do through us what would be impossible otherwise. In other words, when God equips us with our tackle, He's also giving us a license to fish that goes along with it. He makes us competent, not because we're so good, but because He is. Not because we bring so much to the table, but because He brings everything to the table. And He longs to work in and through us to minister to those around us. Our competency comes from God. And when you think about what kind of competency is offered to us, I I made a a partial list. There, There are more extensive things that could be said, but a partial list of what we've been equipped with what is in our tackle box, what God has given us when it comes to ministry. We have a list that we can show here on the screen. We've been equipped or made competent through forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 talks about how we have been given forgiveness in Christ. Our sins have really been forgiven. 
Uh, how many times have you wanted to disqualify yourself from ministry because you think, I just have screwed up one too many times? One of the ways in which God equips us to serve, that He gives us our license to fish, is that He has forgiven us of our sins. He's also given us the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 through 16 is Jesus talking to His disciples saying, I'm getting ready to ascend into heaven, and when I do, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit that will come and will reside within the lives of all of you who trust in me. And when that Spirit comes, it will do greater things through you than you've ever done before. Even greater things than I have ever done will be worked out through your lives because the Holy Spirit has come. There is greater power for ministry than what exists only in your personal skill and experience. It's the power that is found in God's Holy Spirit. He's also equipped us with Christ Himself. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says the life that we now live in the body, the life that we live right now in Norman, Oklahoma, or wherever you live, this life that we now live is a life that is Christ's life living through us. What an awesome thought that Jesus is actually working through us to spread the knowledge of Him everywhere. What an incredible equipping thing. It's not about us, it's about Christ working through us. One of the other things that we've been given is an assured victory. We looked at this verse last week, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said, I'm building my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is nothing that can slow down the locomotive of what God is doing and building in the world. We have an assured victory. That's a confidence. I mean, how many times have we stopped in ministry because we thought, I don't want to fail? Guess what? It's not about you. It's about Christ working through you, and He has promised victory that is assured. Also, we've been equipped with the body. We're not alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 describes the Christian life as a body, that each believer is a different part that works together to accomplish all of what Christ wants to accomplish in the world. We're not limited only to what we can do, but Christ can do greater things because He can do it through all of us. Some ministering with their hands, others with their mouths, others with their feet, others with, with, a, with a hug, with encouragement. All of those things are different ways in which the body is at work. See, in and of ourselves, we have none of those things in our tackle box. But in Christ, we are made competent because He has equipped us with all of these things. And since He has equipped us with all these things, He stamps our resume with grace approved and invites us to fish for men. You see, ministry is not about us. It's about God working through us. That's one of the ways in which ministry is not about us. You know, there's another key point that is mentioned in verse 17 that reminds us that that ministry is not about us. It's not about us and that God has stamped us approved for ministry. But it's also not about us and that it's not about what we can get out of it. Ministry is not about what we can get out of it. Look at what is said in, in verse 17. Paul says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. See, Paul was drawing a contrast between his ministry and the ministry of some others in the city of Corinth. 
Really, he's drawing a contrast between his ministry and some false apostles that were stirring up charges against Paul. Paul says, when I was ministering among you, I did not do it for personal gain. I was not peddling the Word of God. I wasn't just telling you something so that you would give me something back in return. Uh, Specifically, I think what Paul had in mind here was that he was getting no financial compensation from the church in Corinth for his ministry. He was there ministering among them, no strings attached, simply in sincerity, speaking the Word of God to those people. We find out later on in chapter 9, chapter 11 of of the book of 2 Corinthians that Paul did not receive compensation from the church in Corinth. It was a, a fact. They all knew it. And Paul said that was proof of the fact that he was not there doing this for personal gain. Ministry was not about him. He was not trying to personally gain from it. Now, when you read that, you you might be tempted to think that Paul was laying an argument against paid staff people at churches. It's very important for me to go ahead and correct that understanding um, at this time. Uh, As a matter of fact, Paul didn't have that in mind. That was not the issue that Paul was addressing. Paul was addressing motivation. He was using his lack of compensation as a part of his argument. Uh, We know from other places in the Scripture that, that paid staff... Uh, was something that Paul supported. As a matter of fact, Paul himself was personally supported financially from other churches. Uh, The book of Philippians that Bruce is preaching through right now in chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, says this. says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. The idea is that Paul was receiving financial support from the Philippian church while he was ministering in other places, even places like Corinth. Paul was not saying this because he was against receiving compensation for ministry. He said in another location in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and following, he says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Paul was writing to Timothy about the establishment of churches, saying, It is acceptable, it is right, for those within the local church to provide for uh, leadership within the local church, to devote extra time to teaching and preaching and, and leadership of the body there. There was an appropriateness to those things. So, so what Paul wasn't saying was it was wrong to take money in ministry. What Paul was saying was that it's wrong to have a mindset towards ministry that is all about what can I get out of the situation. Paul said, that was not the case with me. I was not ministering among you for what I could get out of it. I was not peddling it for my personal gain. His motivation was merely that they would hear the Word of God, that their lives might be changed. It was not about him. It wasn't wasn't about what he could get out of it. Now, you know, for for most of us here, save the the handful of pastors and staff that we have in the room, we don't... What is the application of that? Most of you um, don't receive a paycheck for the ministry that you have. If you're a Stephen minister and you're working with those, you're not getting paid or compensated for that. Uh, If you're involved in leading part of our children's ministry, you're not getting compensated for that time. Uh, If you're a part of leadership in a community group or an adult fellowship group or the college ministry or a youth wave shepherd, you're investing lots of yourself without any financial gain in return. So 
is there no application for, for all of us on this matter? Uh, the reality is I think that there's still something that we need to, to see in this. Because I think that though we don't receive financial compensation, that sometimes we can minister because what we want to get back is the commendation of others. We minister so we can get a few attaboys. We get involved in ministry so that our Christian friends will give us a high five in the hallway and so that we have a story to share at prayer time. It's possible for us to be involved in ministry so that we have a story to share so we can check the box. In similar ways, I think that at times, ministry involvement can be about us when we have that perspective. Uh, Tim Downs wrote a book called Finding Common Ground. I'm going to read you an excerpt from it um, that I I think is interesting and relevant to what we're talking about. He says, in the fall of 1975, I was actively involved in a campus ministry at Indiana University. At one of the weekly meetings, the campus director unexpectedly announced that there would be no presentation that evening. Instead, we were all going to pair up and go out on campus to find someone with whom to share our faith. This announcement was met with the same enthusiasm as if he had announced that we would all be having root canals. This was just the kind of thing that one could expect from this organization. One of their core principles is that the central part of the Christian faith is a willingness to communicate the Christian faith. This wonderful, frightening principle changed the whole direction of my Christian life, but not before I learned a few lessons the hard way. We all reluctantly agreed to go and to meet back an hour later to tell our experiences. My roommate and I decided to team up, and we headed out to the streets of downtown Bloomington to look for an appropriate target. We spotted a solitary figure standing under a streetlight. He met all of our criteria. He was alone. He seemed to have nothing to do, and he was smaller than we were. We approached. Hi, I said. My name is Tim, and this is Dave. I forgot to ask his name. We'd like to share with you the contents of this little yellow booklet. Would that be okay with you? He turned and began to walk slowly away, his eyes glued to the sidewalk. He said nothing in response to our question, so we assumed his consent. I began to read. The first page says that just as there are laws that govern the physical universe, so there are spiritual laws that govern our relationship with God. I plunged ahead. As I finished each of the four spiritual laws, I was careful to stop and add an illustration or an explanation. For his part, he said nothing. He simply began to pick up the pace of his walk, his eyes never leaving the ground before him. Man is sinful and separated from God, so we cannot know him personally or experience his love. We came to an intersection. Without waiting for the light to change, he darted across. We were right behind him, reading fast. Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him alone, we can know God personally and experience his love. By this time, we're almost at a dead run. What a sight we must have been. One student running down the sidewalk, two others in hot pursuit, reading as they went, like some sort of mobile study group. We arrived at his dormitory just as I finished my presentation. He was out of sidewalk. I was out of laws. And we were all out of breath. He flung open the front door, then wheeled around and looked at us for the first time. His glare was a presentation in itself. Thank you, he said sarcastically. 
You have just repeated to me everything that I had to listen to for eight years of Christian school. The door slammed shut behind him. Dave and I looked around sheepishly, wondering if anyone had seen us clearly enough to identify us. We began the long, long walk back to the meeting place, dreading the upcoming opportunity to tell the other students the story of our profound spiritual encounter. I could hear the other students' stories now, the lonely freshman from a broken home who received the gospel in tears, the alcoholic pre-med student who not only came to faith but became sober instantly, the impromptu testimony given at a drunken fraternity party which ended with all the brothers joining hands and singing, How Great Thou Art. (laughs) Then it would be our turn. We read a tract at one guy, we would say. He tried to run away, but we stayed right with him. He yelled at us, but he actually didn't throw anything. We're not sure, but we think he'll be enrolling in seminary in the fall. (laughs) For a long time, as we walked, we said nothing. Then we began the all-important, highly imaginative process of rationalizing away the disaster that had just occurred. Well, I'm glad we did that, I ventured. Dave spoke up for the first time, that little weasel. Me too. You know, the Bible says that God's Word never returns void. Void. What I felt deep inside where my soul used to be. That's right, I replied. There's no telling what actually took place here tonight. Who knows what that that guy might be thinking right now. We both had a pretty good idea, but this was certainly not the time to bring that up. We took turns offering different interpretations of our encounter, each one more solemn, more spiritual, more inventive than the last. We had sowed the seed here tonight. Who knows what might bear fruit? We had stepped out in faith. We would leave the results to God. We had opened a conversation with a student, and some future friend or roommate would have to finish it for us. And I saved my very best interpretation for last. The most important thing, I said, is that we did what we were supposed to do. What that guy does with a message is up to him. It's difficult to describe the impact this last perspective had on us. Suddenly, we felt like we had joined the company of ancient prophets and martyrs. We had dared to boldly name the name, only to be despised and rejected. Jesus said that if the world hated him, it would hate us also. Tonight, this prophecy had been fulfilled in our midst. But did we shrink back? No. That student would answer one day for his response. Never mind, we had done what we were supposed to do. We walked into the meeting hall with a new sense of dignity and importance. We had found a way to present our experience with honor and self-respect. It was no small feat. We had found a way to make a plane crash look like a scheduled part of the air show. Most important, we had convinced ourselves that we had fulfilled our duty as a faithful witness of our Savior. So why is it that deep down inside of me, a voice seemed to say over and over again, you have received your reward in full? Now, I I want you to know something about that. Um, I have been a part of going out and sharing the gospel with people in similar ways, and I've seen God work in amazing ways through that. Just as Paul wasn't saying that so that he would lay a case for how none of us should receive any compensation for time spent in ministry. So I don't read that story so that none of us would engage in initiative evangelism in that way. What I am saying is this. What Tim Downs is getting at in that article is that at times we can approach ministry of any kind for what our part is in it. And that's it. We think... I need to be out 
sharing the gospel with a friend so that I have a story to share later. I want this person to come to Christ so that I can have a story to share that this has happened. And it's that mentality that Paul is speaking against. It's that mentality that says that we're engaging in ministry for our benefit that Paul says, no, 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 no. Ministry is not about us. What an important perspective shift that is for us to have. Now think about the ministry opportunities that lay before you. Sunday school that you're going to teach, whatever it might be. And then just remind yourself, my participation in this is not just about me. God will bless you through it. God will reward you for your participation in that. But God does not want your mentality as you embark into ministry to be, this is about me. Let God deal with the results, but let us not have a fixation on us as we minister to others. It's not about us. It's about something more. So if ministry is not about us, what's it about? That's the second thing I want us to see. Second thing I want us to see is that ministry is about God changing others' lives through us. Ministry is about God changing others' lives through us. Uh, We see that in the first few verses in chapter 3. Paul begins and he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? In other words, Paul had been attacked by those in the Corinthian church, and people had questioned his authenticity as an apostle of Christ. In defense of himself, Paul says, Do I need to present to you letters of reference that argue for the fact that I'm someone that God is using to communicate His truth? Now, this was a process that was fairly normal in the ancient world. Uh, When somebody would go from one town to another, many times prominent leaders in one town might write a letter of reference for someone to carry with them so that when they arrive in the other town, there's a letter from this other pastor, this other Christian leader, this, this council in Jerusalem, whatever it might be, that said, this person is one of us. Receive him and listen to what he has to say. In a setting where someone would go to a place that they had never been, letters like that were very important. But in this particular instance, in the church in Corinth, that was not an important fact at all. It wasn't important for Paul to have letters of commendation from other people to bring because Paul's ministry was self-validated in Corinth because there were people in Corinth whose lives had been shaped by the gospel. Let me give you an example of that. If Wildwood were going to hire someone uh, to come on staff and be a part of our staff team and minister here, and it was someone that we had no other connection with, we would want to get a lot of references from that person so that we get an idea of what they're like, what they're about, what makes them tick, what's been their track record in ministry. We we would want some letters like that for someone we don't know very well. Let's imagine a different scenario, a scenario where, where Bruce Hess, maybe, who's been here 30 years in ministry as a senior pastor, was wanting to step into a different role in ministry at Wildwood. He's not wanting to do this. This is, not, this is hypothetical, right? He's wanting to step into a different role. Well, you know what? At that case, we would not want to produce reference letters from people that knew Bruce 32 years ago in Dallas. 
That would seem silly for us, right? We don't need the, the, the proof of somebody that knew him 32 years ago. We have the proof right here among us. When Bruce goes to Lapia, he doesn't need to present letters. They go, you're the guy on the radio. We know God uses you. You have credibility with us because there's a fruit in our lives of your ministry. When Paul initiates with the people at the church in Corinth, there's no need for him to validate his ministry because God had been at work in the people of Corinth through Paul, changing their lives. It says that you, are, you yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. In other words, here's what Paul was really saying. In, as a part of his ministry in the city of Corinth, God had been using Paul and his team like a pen that had been dipped in the ink of the Holy Spirit and had written on the hearts of the Corinthians in such a way that their lives had been changed. God had reprogrammed the perspective of Corinthian people in a direction that would save their lives through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and that was the proof, that was the only proof that was necessary at that, at that time and place to validate Paul's ministry. You know what? Paul's minute perspective on ministry was that other people's lives could be changed as God worked through Paul in their lives. And you know what? The same perspective is a perspective that we can have as well. We need to have the perspective as well that in ministry, God wants to work through us to change other people's lives. God wants to take us and like a pen to dip us in the ink of His Holy Spirit and to write on other people's lives so that their lives actually change. That around each of us in ministry, there can be letters of commendation, proof of what God has been doing as people's lives are being shaped and changed in the image of God. That's why we're involved in ministry. God has called us because He, he has an intended purpose of seeing lives changed. And we need to remember that. Because many times in ministry, we, we get focused on what we can offer, and so we can only think about what we can affect, and we get involved in situations that are beyond us, and we think, I don't even want to be a part of this, because that marriage seems unsavable. That illness, it, why, why can we even pray for that? That seems uncurable. This, this passage seems unteachable. This class seems, you know, un unattendable. There's no hope in all these situations if we only think about what we can affect. But the reality is that God can do far more. God can dip us in the ink of His Spirit and write on the lives of others and change their lives and save them. In the instance of someone that doesn't know Christ, they could be saved from eternal destruction for how God might use you as you share God's truth with them. In the case of someone who does know Christ but is heading towards what you can totally see as disaster because they're disobeying God in their life, that, that, that God could use you to save them from destruction in this life. God can use you to do far more than what you can do on your own. Think about the, the, the context of people around you and think about all of the instances where you have given up hope of anything ever actually changing. If you've given up hope that anything could ever actually change, then there's a good chance that you have made that ministry about you 
You've looked at what you have and you said, I'm incapable of offering change there. But the reality is that there is far more at play. The reality is that God can write through you His message of salvation from eternity and from temporal consequences. And that's what He longs to do. I want you to think about your lives. Think about this week. Think about the opportunities that you'll have that God will place in front of you. And then think about what God might want to write on the hearts of those around you. And He wants to write it through you, through whatever it is that you do. Encouragement, prayer, sharing with them, just being there, spending some time with someone. All of those become opportunities for God to work through you to write His message on their heart. Now that is awesome. And that's what awaits each and every one of us from this moment until we see each other again. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to gather here today and to look at your word. Father, I pray that you would encourage us now to not forget the fish be encouraged to be a part of ministry because we understand what it is. It's not about what we bring to the table, but it's about what you can do through us. And Father, you desire to change people's lives through the ministry that is enacted through the lives of the members of Wildwood here and throughout our community and even throughout the world. Father, we thank you. Father, I pray right now that you would encourage us walk boldly in this direction by faith this week. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name.